Welcome to Boston Confidential, Beantown's true crime podcast. Boston is a great city, but there's more to it than the Freedom Trail and Fenway Park. There's a startling underbelly to the city, and Boston Confidential will take you on a guided tour of the hub of the universe, Boston, Massachusetts. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Boston Confidential. My name's Barry McGuire, and I'm your host. I'm a 20-year private investigator on the streets of Boston, and I help run a company called Impact Due Diligence Investigations. If you need anything in terms of investigative services, feel free to contact me at Impact. If I can't help you personally, I'll certainly direct you to the right person or agency. All right, guys, before we get too far into the podcast, I want to try a little experiment. I'm going to give you a set of facts, and you gauge how much prison time you should get. All right. It's 1976. You've just been in prison for a string of armed robberies. You get to 1985, and you're out on a one-day furlough. Yes, Massachusetts in the 80s had furloughs for felons. So you're out on a one-day furlough. You decide not to come back. I mean, you got stuff to do, and you're going to do it. So you decide to pull five armed robberies while you're out on furlough. And... While you're committing these armed robberies, one of which was in downtown Boston, you decide to shoot a security guard in the chest. So keep in mind, armed robbery in Massachusetts is at a minimum a 20-year felony. Some of these armed robberies you could get life for. All right, but let's just see if we can do the math. Five armed robberies times 20 years, that's 100 years. Throw in, say, another 20 years in prison for shooting the innocent security guard at the jewelry store, right? So how much time do you think you'd get? And don't forget, you already escaped. So tack that on. So tack on another 20 years. I think we're looking at about 140 years of prison time when they finally catch up to you, and they do. So a year later, Dominic Sinelli is sentenced to 25 years in prison, not the 140 that he deserved, but... 25 years. Again, welcome to Massachusetts. You do all these robberies while you're out on a furlough and you shoot somebody in the chest and that's all you get. All right, so no big deal. You do your crimes. You do this whole spree. You shoot a guy in the chest. You know you're going to get pinched and you do. You end up back in the joint. So is 1985 a good year or a bad year for you? You had some time on the outside you enjoyed these robberies, you probably enjoyed shooting that guy in the chest. So we'll call it a wrap. So 1996 rolls around, and you're getting a little morose. You may never get out of prison on this nonsense that you've done, but you like it on the outside. There's drugs, there's robbing people, there's hurting people. That's where you need to be. So you've got to find a way to do that one more time. And you're a convict, so you do what you do best. You con people. So that's what Dominic Sinelli did an hour after he was sentenced for all this madness that he committed during this furlough. He slid his wrist in a feigned suicide attempt. So in the only bright thing I've ever heard this goofball do, he made a legal pad look like a gun in some form or fashion and was able to take the pistol of a corrections officer. And from there, he escaped. He ran from the hospital in leg irons and handcuffs, and he carjacked a motor vehicle outside of the hospital. 
Okay, so I'm losing track of the math here. It's, this is escape number two, carjacking, ABDW, assault and battery dangerous weapon on the corrections officer, carjacking, that's a 20-year felony. So Dominic Sinelli is away from prison for 11 days, and he commits at least one more armed robbery. That's another 20-year felony, guys. Is this somebody you'd ever want on the outside of the prison legitimately? I don't think so. You'd laugh to yourself, right? Well, again, welcome to Massachusetts. But wait, it gets worse, as it usually does in Massachusetts. In 2005, the Massachusetts Court of Appeals ordered the parole board to grant Sinelli an immediate hearing due to flaws in his sentencing. Yes, they thought there was flaws in this goofball sentencing, so they granted him an immediate hearing. He was not paroled in 2005. That wouldn't occur until 2008. And in the intervening time, he had attended all of these goofball programs, you know, aggression, de-escalation. He actually joined Toastmasters, guys. Yeah, a public speaking forum. So he joins all these programs in prison, and it's all just BS. It's a con, right? Dangerousness is situational. So this guy didn't have the opportunity to be dangerous to other prisoners, and he wanted to get out. So now he's just trying to be the repentant convict, right? They all play this game, especially when now there's an opportunity for parole. When there was no opportunity for parole, he was a walking a-hole. But I guess these people just don't see it. I guess the parole board, the Department of Corrections, just don't see this. But they were certainly going to see it in this case. And things were going to get much worse. Much, much worse. Oh, the sentence that Dominic Sinelli was serving after all of this madness was three life sentences, guys. I'm not kidding you. I know it's difficult to believe, but he gets three life sentences. So that guy he shot in the chest thought he was going away for the rest of his life. All those people that he robbed while he's on this Fakakta furlough thought he was going away for the rest of his life, right? Everybody did, but no, not in Massachusetts. Do you know what the average life sentence in Massachusetts is? Seven and a half years, and then you're paroled. So... Life does not mean life, and three life sentences doesn't mean anything in a state. All right, guys, I guess I should clarify the three life sentences came from his latest escape with the carjacking and all this. I know it's hard to keep track. His original escape, he got 25 years, and then the triple life sentences were from the next escape. So it's difficult to keep track, I know. So parole seems to go okay. We'd later learn that it didn't. But from 2008 through 2010, Dominic Sinelli appears on the surface to be doing what's required of him for parole. So I'm assuming he's working, he's going to Narcotics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, and all that other stuff. But fast forward to December 26, 2010. It was the day after Christmas, and New England, the entire region, was blanketed in a blizzard. For most Bay Staters, that would have been a great opportunity to stay with family, hunkered down the day after Christmas, watch their nieces, nephews, kids open their presents, play with them. You can't go out, you shut down, you might as well enjoy it at home. 
well, not Dominic Sinelli. Dominic Sinelli and two other goofballs go to Coles in Woburn, Massachusetts, and they're not there to do some post-Christmas shopping. They're there to rob the place. That's right. They're there to rob the jewelry counter of Coles the day after Christmas. And you would think there wouldn't be a lot of jewelry there because most of it probably would have been sold. But Dominic Sinelli saw a score there, and he goes in there with a pistol, and there's another guy I'll tell you about in a minute being a lookout and all that, and there was also a driver. So so Sinelli goes to the jewelry counter, and he wants everything in there. He gives them a duffel bag. They comply, but he's very violent, at least in talking to them. He made them fear for their lives. I believe he would have killed them if they resisted. And he did make threats to that end. So he robs the joint. Him and the lookout get out to the parking lot. But somebody had tripped an alarm, and the Woburn police were on this. Even in the blizzard, they were there within minutes. And one cop gets there, and there's a guy who's plowing Cole's parking lot. And he sees Sinelli come out with the duffel bag and the gun, and he sees a cop arrive at the same time. Sinelli starts to run the other way, and the plow truck driver kind of pins him in, and Sinelli points the gun at him. And this plow truck driver raises the plow blade to cover almost the windshield, and he keeps pursuing him. So he chases him for a little while, and one cop arrives. Then a second cruiser arrives, and this second cruiser is occupied by Jack McGuire, age 60. He's no relation to me, although he spells his last name identically to me, and that's kind of unusual. But Jack McGuire, John Jack McGuire, arrives at Cole's, and he ultimately engages Sinelli. I don't think Sinelli was going back to the joint this time. And he starts to fire his weapon at Jack McGuire. McGuire returns fire, striking Sinelli and killing him. But John Jack McGuire was struck four times in the chest, and he didn't have a vest on. A short time later, McGuire passes, and in his final act, he took Sinelli out of this world. I'm not going to say he took him with him because they're not going to the same place. But he killed Sinelli. And let me just tell you a little bit about John McGuire. McGuire was a multi-year veteran. Actually, he was set to retire six months from that day. Six months. And this a-hole, Sinelli, takes his retirement from him and from his wife. McGuire's family consisted of his wife, Desiree, a son, Brian McGuire, and a daughter, Tara McGuire. Jack McGuire was 60 years old, and again, I don't want to repeat myself, but he was set to retire from the job. And I think I forgot to mention, McGuire had a brother, Charles McGuire. So there was a lot of grieving going on. And when it came to light exactly who Sinelli was and how many breaks he had gotten, how many crimes he had committed, I mean, this guy must have had 250 years prison time up against him, and he gets out on parole. When the media get a hold of the fact that this guy was out on parole for such heinous crimes, the whole state just went insane. Because when you juxtapose the lives of the two men, Jack McGuire and Dominic Sinelli, man, one was deserving of his retirement. The other one needed to be under a prison. So 
Just such a sad case, but it is so Massachusetts. Jack McGuire was described by his colleagues as a cop's cop. Further described, really, as somebody who you'd want to respond to your house if something was wrong, right? He was slow to anger. He knew everybody in town. Everybody knew him. Good people, bad people. Woburn is a great town, and I know I haven't described it. It's just north of Boston. It used to be an old tannery center, right? If you remember the book in the movie, A Civil Action, that is where the majority of the movie took place in Woburn, Mass. So I guess at a certain point, it was not a coveted suburb, but it is now. It borders Burlington and a couple of other communities. It's a very nice community. It's very expensive now. It's kind of upscale. But in the past, it's kind of been a blue-collar town. It still is in some ways. There's a lot of old-timers there. But an influx of new people have moved in because of its proximity to Boston. They've got the commuter rail there, or at least nearby. It's a great little community. So they say Jack McGuire was conducting community policing before community policing was even in fashion. And he'd respond to people as, that's how we were taught in the police academy was to serve our community. And that's what Jack did for more than 30 years in the town of Woburn. The Woburn Police Department was absolutely stunned and really not for a loop. Other communities came in to help out with the day-to-day functions of policing, and they began their investigation, and the state police came in because it was a homicide, now a double homicide. But the Woburn Police stayed intimately involved and assisted the state police. That's how it happens in Massachusetts communities. I know I had mentioned the juxtaposition between the two people involved, Sinelli and McGuire. McGuire is just a shining example, and the other guy is just something you wipe off the heel of your shoe. All right, guys, let's get to the co-conspirators here. The first on the hit parade is Scott Hanright, H-A-N-R-I-G-H-T, and he was said to be the lookout. I think he actually went in to Kohl's with Sinelli and was looking around. You know, it's, it's a massive store. But I believe Hanwright was arrested at the scene. Hanwright's case went all the way to the Massachusetts Supreme Court. They were fighting the fact that he couldn't be tried for all these charges. I believe there was 22 charges filed against Scott Hanwright. And his defense attorney was saying that he could not be charged with all of these crimes. The Supreme Court disagreed. And right after... That ruling came down. Hanwright took a plea deal, and he'd be eligible for parole after serving 25 years. That's a hell of a long time in Massachusetts. And he wouldn't have got that if the press wasn't so deeply involved in this case. And I guarantee you that. But I looked up Hanwright on the Massachusetts inmate locator, and he's not doing too well. He is in maximum security at the Sousa Baranowski Prison in Walpole, Massachusetts. We used to just call this place Walpole. It's big boy prison, maximum security. And he's been in there for quite a while, so he must be screwing up time and time again. He's following right in the footsteps of his dead co-conspirator, Sanelli. Police allege that these two dingbats had help in a driver, and his name was Kevin T. 
Dingwell. And he stated that he had some story that he didn't know what he was doing, whom he was there to pick up and all this other nonsense. He ended up taking a plea deal for two years probation in this case. Seems to have some type of fairly logical story that he was kind of tricked into this nonsense. I don't love the sentence, but I guess I'll accept it. Yeah, the guy's doing 25 years in Walpole, so I guess you can't win them all. All right, guys, I should probably highlight some inconsistencies I see in reporting out there. The co-defendant, Scott Hanwright, I reported to you that he received a 25-year sentence, and that was a plea bargain. But I've also read that he's received a life sentence because he was a co-conspirator in the murder, so he got sentenced under the joint venture theory. He was only the lookout, didn't pull the trigger, but still is as culpable as Sinelli himself. So if that's true, and I pray that it is, that's a great thing. I hope he's doing life. But as I said previously, I looked him up on the inmate locator, and he is he is imprisoned in Sousa Baranowski, which is Massachusetts maximum security housing. So He's in big boy jail doing big boy time. Hope he's doing life. I'm going to tell you about the last co-conspirator, and a lot of people don't know this. Arthur Sinelli, age 54, and he's Dominic Sinelli's older brother. He was also convicted in the Coles robbery. After the investigation that ensued, Arthur Sinelli, the brother, was found to be in direct contact with Dominic Sinelli basically advising him how to do this robbery at Coles. At one point, he says the weather, the snow, the blizzard, could be both a hindrance and a help. And he also advised him to wear full face coverings while he was in the store. So he is somewhere else texting Dominic Sinelli about how to rob this business, and he was ultimately charged for it. And the only reason Arthur Sinelli wasn't present at the robbery is because he was having hip surgery, so he was basically on the injured list. I'm not sure if the criminal union has a hospital plan, but this guy was on the injured reserve list, and I don't know if he was due for a cut of this score, but nobody got paid on this score. So if you remember, at the beginning of the podcast, I had mentioned that after parole, Dominic Sinelli seemed to be doing the right thing. He was paroled in 2008, and the incident at Coles where Officer McGuire was murdered happened in 2010. But it appears that Dominic Sinelli and his brother, Arthur Sinelli, were up to some nefarious nighttime activities. Six weeks before the incident at Coles, a stop and shop in Stoneham, Massachusetts, just a couple towns over from Woburn, was robbed, and it was robbed by both Arthur Sinelli, who was captured on videotape limping. Remember now, this is just before his surgery, his hip surgery, so he's clearly caught on videotape as he stood outside, either just in the market or outside the manager's office, and Dominic Sinelli went in with a gun and robbed the manager and held the teenage employees at gunpoint. You're going to be surprised to learn that Arthur Sinelli was also a career criminal who had served about 25 years in prison. Crazy, right? And he was also paroled. So I don't know if he was on active parole at the time, but he was held up as a shining example 
at his brother's parole hearing, the parole members were saying, you have to be more like your brother Arthur, who we paroled like four years ago. So the state of Massachusetts is just like a comedy of errors. And this isn't the only case like this, guys. You know, it's the only one I've brought to you. But there's several parole-related cases that I could do, and maybe I will, but this is the worst of them. So Arthur Sinelli is caught on videotape limping just before his surgery. I'm sorry, these guys are just so stupid. It's, it's almost funny. Uh, how do they get away with anything? So both Arthur and Dominic robbed the Stoneham Stop and Shop, and guess who else worked at the Stop and Shop in Stoneham at the time? And I'm sure this is pure coincidence, but Scott Hanwright was... <laughs> An employee of Stop and Shop in Stoneham. I don't know if he was working that night, but I'm sure it's just a coincidence, guys. Don't draw any conclusions from that. You know, despite the fact that they had inside information as to when the manager had collected money from all the registers and put it in the safe, they knew somehow, the robbers knew somehow at 9 p.m., about an hour before closing, that was the deal. I'm sure it wasn't Scott Hanwright who did that, though, right? To be quite frank, as far as Arthur Sinelli goes, I've lost track of how much time he got. He was also involved in a drug ring where he seemed to be taking relatively small amounts of cocaine from Massachusetts to New Hampshire and selling it in 10 grams, 5 gram increments. And he had eventually sold these drugs to a federal police informant, and that was in 07, 08. And I know it was a 20-year felony. I don't know how much time he ever got. I'm just lost with all this. There's so much time floating around. And all these goofballs get paroled anyway. So I think I mentioned previously, Arthur Sinelli is serving his time, not in a maximum security, but in a medium or low security at the Gardner House of Correction or the Gardner Prison. I know they've got a, an attached farm and all this. I don't think it's very hard time up in Gardner. At least that's what I've been told. As big of screw-ups as the Sinelli brothers are, they started out pretty well in life, and there's a strange coincidence among the McGuire family and the Sinellis. Jack McGuire's dad was a police chief of Woburn, Massachusetts, and conversely, the Sinelli's dad, Arthur Sinelli, was a pretty esteemed Boston police officer, and People said he was a great guy on the job and a good dad, and I believe he raised his family in East Boston, Massachusetts. Arthur Sinelli, much like his younger brother, got caught up in drugs pretty early on. But Arthur Sinelli is said to have been more of the hot ass of the group. In 1981, Arthur Sinelli was convicted of a robbery, armed robbery of a police detective in Medford, Massachusetts. Arthur Sinelli and a co-defendant robbed Richard McGlynn, who was working a paid detail, basically as a private entity, if you're from outside of Massachusetts, working mostly, I guess, as a security guard. And he was doing a drop from a liquor store to the bank, holding about $20,000. Arthur Sinelli shot Detective Richard McGlynn four times in the chest. McGlynn was a married man and had eight children. And Arthur Sinelli almost took him from his whole family. That's the incident he went to the can for 25 years, and I believe that happened in May 1981. So another shining example of Massachusetts parole system and criminal justice system in general. 
You know, it just has to be so frustrating to the police, right? They've done a good job. They caught him conducting that robbery in 1981, right? And he goes away and he doesn't serve his full sentence. He almost killed that cop, you know? And same thing with his brother. Shoots somebody four times in the chest while he escapes from prison. And he is still entitled to be paroled to harm more people. It's just insane. These were two career criminals that deserve to be where they were. I don't know why we think they deserve something different. They've done it time and time again. It's just insane. And the only reason Sinelli isn't going to get parole again is because of the media attention on it. it would just make everything look bad. So, okay, I guess we should move on from the Sinelli brothers, and I'll tell you about the aftermath. The Woburn police were devastated. The media was up in arms. The whole Commonwealth was up in arms, knowing that these two violent career criminals were set upon us by people we pay to make these determinations if it's safe to release these people. And you knew it wasn't. He got out before. You didn't let him out. He escaped, and he hurt people then. Why would you think he wouldn't do that again? So the media uproar forced Governor Deval Patrick to make some immediate changes on the parole board, and I believe he fired two members of the parole board immediately, or almost immediately, I suppose. There were some changes legislatively as well, but Massachusetts got back to releasing murderers again probably two years later. There was uproar from the criminal justice advocates that they're murdering clients and not being released as they had been in the past. So that took about two years to get back to normal. And I'd go into all the supposed changes they made. It's just nonsense. They just wanted it out of the newspapers. It was just like the DCF scandal, Department of Children and Families, where social workers were not making their appointments with clients in need. This ended up killing Jeremiah Oliver near Lemonster, Massachusetts, and Bella Bond in Boston, Massachusetts. And the same governor, Deval Patrick, hired a hack to fix those problems. And they just wanted this out of the newspapers. And that's it. And that's what they got. And so after everything died down, those two parole board members who had been fired, I know at least one of them got their job back. I don't know what happened to the other one. He's probably back on there, but it's all meaningless. To be quite frank, I can't wait to get out of this state. It's just so asinine. So I guess, you know, legally speaking, there's been some changes in the parole board, parole measures and all this, but you still do about half of your sentence or less. So if you see somebody getting 10 years, they're probably doing four and a half. That's just how it goes here in Massachusetts. I don't think that's duplicated down south or out west or even Midwest because they seem to have some level of sanity, right? If you would just kept the Sinelli brothers where they belonged, Jack McGuire would still be alive today. But for the Massachusetts Parole Board, Officer McGuire would be alive, probably living in Florida with his wife and enjoying his life. But instead, he had to shoot it out in a parking lot in a blizzard the day after Christmas with a lifelong, heavy, criminal, drug addict, alcoholic. And you'll release him on the public. And this is what you get. This is what you get. There are real-life consequences to these foolish decisions, and nobody is ever held accountable in this state. All right, guys, I'm going to leave you there. I'm sorry about that. I'm just a little pissed off. The cops did a good job in corralling 
these animals and you just let them out to hurt people again. It's beyond comprehension. All right, guys, I'll see you on the flip side.